0: So unfortunately, my my I don't have my iPad with me today, which is normally the thing that I use to uh, fast forward the presentation. Uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on Heidi. And she and me, we're on the same page. It's gonna be it's gonna be fabulous. Um, so we're in our sermon series called the Story of Redemption. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been tracking through um, the, the Bible. We started in the book of Genesis, and we're going to end in the book of Revelation. And what we're doing is tracking the story of redemption that God has outlined for his people. Uh, and so we've been at this for—oh, my phone can control it as well. Maybe I don't need you hiding We'll see. We'll see if I can keep up with myself. And so what we've been doing is sort of tracking this story. And and this is the the eighth week that we've been in this story. And we started uh, with creation, Adam and Eve, all the way through Abraham and Noah. We told those stories Uh, a couple weeks ago. Brian brought us a message about the wanderings uh, in the desert. And last week, we talked uh, uh, a little bit about this story and sort of continuing into the the phase of the judges. And what I want to do today is talk a little bit, only a tiny bit, about the United Kingdom. Now, I know that's what uh, the United Monarchy is, what I named the sermon, but that's not really the, the, going to be the focus. What you need to know about the United Monarchy is really simple. It was united. That, that's kind of it. It wasn't going to be a sufficient uh, sermon topic just in and of itself. And so what I decided uh, was I don't want you just to sit there and listen to my sermons and so, sort of, oh yeah, yeah, just nod and agree, yep, that's what, yep, okay, yep, and then then move away. What I want to do today is something a little bit different, a little bit unique. I want to teach you uh, how to draw out some patterns in scripture for yourself so that as you're reading along in the story of redemption, you can go, ah, look, right? Does that make sense? And so uh, what we're looking at, uh, this pattern isn't just a afterthought to god his plan of redemption for you your salvation was not a second thought it wasn't an afterthought it wasn't a oh wh- wait what are you guys doing oh no now i have to come up with something no he he planned this in, for, in in forethought he in fact in scripture it says that before the foundation of the world jesus christ is the lamb of god slain and so we know that there is a pattern here and a logic so it makes sense to that these stories weave together. Now, I know some of you are looking at me with blank faces, so that's okay. That is okay. What I want you to do is, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat in front of you, what I want you to do is open that Bible to Genesis chapter 1. I know, we're going backwards, folks. I know, some of you are like, "What? we got all the way to Judges. Why? What? What? No, Genesis chapter 1. I want to show you how these stories are woven together. So in chapter 1, verse 31, this is what God's word says. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We know this because we we spent a week going through this creation story and we saw how God over and over and over again uh, many times said, and it was good, that he saw and it was good. In fact, it says in seven times uh, in this chapter alone that what God made was good and seven times it says that he saw that it was good with one time being modified right here to say it was very good. And what I want you to look at and pay specific close attention in this is the words saw. It's a very important word in scripture. Seen, to be seen or to observe. You need to pay attention to that word because that word is going to crop up over and over and over again as we move through some of the stories that we've already seen. And what you need to know about Genesis 1 is God sees and it's good. The Hebrew word for good is the word tov or tove, depending on which definition you use. Sometimes the B and the V sounds almost kind of similar, so I'm going to go with Tov, because that's the one that I learned, and what you need to know about Tov, it is not the same as Shalom, we're not talking about perfection, what we're talking about is something being good, something being good for you, something being good that you see, now uh, let me me put this as an example, I like going to Olive Garden. When the chicken parmesan comes in front of me, and you can see that layer of melted cheese with the brownness you brown the cheese that's good that's tove. that's not only delicious and i know it's going to be gone in a couple of five you know about five minutes after i inhale it but that's that idea of goodness right now you can insert it. maybe you don't like chicken i don't know you you don't know whatever maybe you like something else but i want you to get that in in mind that what god sees and says is good what God sees and says is good. Because if we continue tracking through this story, there's going to be one more word that I want you to pay attention. It's found here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God gives things to us. So not only does what God see and what God says is good, but we also know that when God gives us something, it's also good. Are you with me so far? Does that make sense? So God sees and what he says and what he gives is all good. Right? I want you to pay attention to those three things, what God gives, what he says, and what, uh, what, was I, what, I said, what God says and what he sees is good. Because what we see here is that God puts the man, he puts, uh, he bestows. And so that's the word that we're looking at. When I say to give, you say, well, I read that scripture. It doesn't say to give in there. Uh, It uses the word to bestow, that God bestows stuff on us, that that the gifts that God gives us are good. Because we continued that narrative the week after. We were in Genesis chapter 3 talking about the fall of man. And I told you that you need to look at uh, a couple of key words. What were those words? Saw, so, so when the woman did what? No, top line. So when the woman saw. saw. So right, right, right away what we've done is we've established that God sees stuff and what God sees is good. However, humans, we don't have such a good track record, right? When, when, when we look at stuff, when we observe stuff, it's not always going to be to our benefit. It's not always going to be something that builds us up or edifies us Uh, And so what we see here is an example that when the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food. Now, what had God said just a chapter earlier? He said, you can eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For that, you shall not eat it. For the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So what God said of that tree is, in fact, it is not good for food. So God over here says, I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to supply all of your needs, anything uh, for your entire life. I'm going to supply it. Uh, All the food is going to be supplied. Every tree in here is going to be good for you, but this one is not good, and what happens is Eve sees it with her own eyes and says that it's good going up against what God says and that it was a delight to her eye. And so you've got two contrasting things happening in the story you've got god seeing that something is good and giving it and then you see the woman seeing that something is good and taking it do you notice the difference god sees and it's good now the woman takes what she thinks is good And I think I'm going to summarize these just one more time because I need you to understand this. That God says that something is good, the human character ignores that and instead uses their own judgment and assesses what is good. If you were to be completely honest with yourself, how many times do you read the promises of God in Scripture? You say, if I follow this, I know it's going to work out for me uh, in the end because all things work together for the good of God and those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. If I just do this, it's going to turn out good. But this over here just looks so attractive god god you you got my back right you just be over there you find i know i know the bible says you know uh, you don't need to keep sinning so grace abounds but like, it's just so pretty <laughs> we do this all the time and maybe maybe not as ridiculous as that but a lot of the times what we do is we trust in our own judgment rather than judgment of god and think you know what i'm in this situation god's not i'm smarter than god i can do this stuff by myself i don't need him to tell me what's right and what's wrong i can figure it out for myself and what we do is we put ourselves in the same situation that Eve puts herself in. Instead of listening to God and believing in him, she decides to take matter into her own hands. So the human character ignores that and instead uses their own judgment to assess what is good. The second thing that happens, the human then takes what they think is good, not what God gives to them. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not for Adam and Eve to take in. It was not for them to take. Everything else. I mean, how many have you ever had dealt with kids and you say calm down whoa calm down guys you got a table filled with goodies and you say you can have anything on this table and that little kid's going to see the cup of coffee in your hand and say but i want that but you can have all this look there's like if you if nikki ever babysits your children at my house what they're going to eat for breakfast is waffles with syrup and sprinkles and possibly popsicles At Uncle uh, Uncle, Uncle Jonathan and Aunt Nikki's house, nothing's really off the table as long as it's not going to cause damage to the child. We we like kids to have a good time. Yet Jen's looking horrified because every now and then her kids come over, and I'm sorry, they get waffles with sprinkles. We don't do healthy stuff when you're not around, right? And yet we could provide them all this stuff. I guarantee I walk downstairs with a cup of coffee in my hand. One of them's going to look at that and be like, what you got there in that cup? Is that something for me? No, see we, we try we often focus on God's given us these things over here and they're good and they're blessings and they're wonderful, but look at the I want that over there. I want the thing that I don't have. I want the job that I don't have. I want the pay grade that I don't have. I want the house that I don't have. I want the car that I don't have. I want that. Over there. We're not satisfied with all of these blessings that God gives us in our lives, and instead we've got this insatiable desire and appetite for more, 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 more. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Everything in the garden was good to eat. And here's here's one of the most important parts of the story. There is a consequence to that fallout. There is a consequence to our actions. Oftentimes, the thing that we want that's not on the table will actually cause more harm than good. We just are too short-sighted to see it, that in the long run it's going to cause us harm. And so God may be withholding that from you in order to protect you. And if we just run in and grab it, grab it, grab it. Like those kids, if they grab my coffee... It's over for them. Because that's my coffee. I mean I just no, the liquid in the cup is hot. Have you ever seen a kid like just take a gulp of hot liquid, scalding hot coffee or liquid or tea or whatever it happens to be? What happens to the kid? Screaming, right? I don't have kids. One of the reasons why. Screaming. I don't do screaming. I hate screaming. Sometimes the thing that we want the most is what's going to cause us the most damage. And there is a fallout or consequence to the mistakes that we made. Now, I promise you that we're, we're going to track through some of these stories. So if you have your Bibles, jump then over to Genesis 25. We're skipping the flood because simply I don't have time. But if we, we uh, look here uh, at Genesis 25, Genesis chapter 25, uh, what's happening here, I've actually got the wrong one up on the screen, but that is okay. It should be Genesis 15, sorry, not 25. I made a mistake there. Uh, in Genesis 15, what happens is God is giving the covenant to Abraham, right? God is making a promise, making this covenant with him. You know what? If you look at the grains of sand in the desert, I'm going to make your, gener- your, your descendants more numerous than they. If you look up into the heavens and see the stars in the sky, you're going to have more descendants than that. There is a clear promise of God, just like in Genesis. There was a, you can eat from any of the tree. There was a clear promise, right? And then if we we, we track this story, we see here that Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She was a female uh, who had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, behold, now the the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that she may obtain children by her. We talked about this story just a little bit. And what's what's interesting in this story? She listened he listened to the voice of his of his wife Sarah. And then in verse 3, it says, Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, and Abraham took Hagar. So again, what we we see in the story of Abraham and Sarah is God coming and delivering a promise, a commitment to his people. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to make this great. I'm going to make this wonderful. And then you've got the, the people saying, it's not happening. It's not happening in my time. I don't like it. And so Sarah sees Hagar, she sees Hagar and says to Abraham, Take. And so, what you've got is a supplanting of the story in Genesis chapter 3. You've got Hagar becoming the fruit essentially in the story in Genesis 3. You've got uh, Abraham and Sarah becoming the Eve character saying God has promised me this Uh, it's not happening, there's something that's attractive, I'm going to see it with my eyes become attracted to it and I'm going to take that for myself and ignore what God tells me to do. Genesis 16, Sarah tells Abraham to take matters into his own hands god has said that there is something good coming abraham sarah and sarah don't hear him and take matters into their own hand and there is a fallout or consequences from that mistake the fact that she gives birth to a son called ishmael who then claims the blessings of god and is the father of pretty much every arab nation that still to this day have a riff and a beef with the nation of israel that trace it back to this moment and say no 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 we we get the blessings of god because hagar is the only one that actually obeyed god in this circumstance she's the only only one in the in the entire scenario that did what she was supposed to do and so there are consequences and fallouts from those mistakes now we track a little bit further so so you're with me so far you've seen the, the word see you've seen the word taken right You've, you've seen those words, they're, they're apparent. And so then, uh, a couple weeks back, we, talk about the, we talked about the Israelites. We did the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments, the let my people go, you know, the Charlton Heston uh, movie, or if you're younger, The Prince of Egypt, though, really, watch the Charlton Heston movie, it's better, um, and we don't talk about gods and kings, right? Um, so we, we talked about that, we talked about the Israelites moving out of captivity and into the wilderness, and they went to a place called Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain of Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments kind of famous, right? Most people know them now. Uh, in, in the Ten Commandments, which is in the book of Exodus, uh, here on the screen you'll see it, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, it's a little bit famous. It begins with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol uh, of anything that crawls on the, the land below, or beasts of the air, or creatures of the sea. You shall make no, uh, you will not carve them out of stone or any other material, right? We're all down with the Ten Commandments. God basically saying to Moses uh, on Mount Sinai, you shall not make any idols. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or what is in the water under the earth. Moses goes up a mountain to get these Ten Commandments. If I had time, Moses is up the mountain for 40 days. 40 days is an important number in the Bible, but I don't have time to get into it and to unpack it. Just know that... uh, in the story of Noah, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And then in the story of Jesus in the wilderness, he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is an important number, uh, but we don't have time to get into it. Uh, but in those 40 days, while well, Moses is up the mountain receiving these commands from God, something interesting is happening on the ground uh, in the story of Aaron. Uh, and in fact, Moses comes down to find this scene. This is Exodus 32, chapters, uh, sorry, verses 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered uh, themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of of gold that are in your ears and of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And he said to them, These are the gods of Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron did what? Saw. So, hey, look, there's a word again. He built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be the feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. No kids here, sex, drugs and rock and roll. That's the, if you look down at some of the original language, that's what he's talking about. The people took this gold Now here's what's interesting. God is up on the mountain saying, if you do this, you're going to be blessed. In fact, uh, we started in Exodus 20. If we were to look at Exodus 19, the way that Exodus 19 ends is God saying to Moses, tell the people that they're going to be a treasured people, a holy nation, a nation of priests. They're going to be my representatives throughout the entire world and show people what my nature is like, what my character is like, and they are going to be blessed if they follow these commandments. And then God gives these 10 commandments and then a whole bunch more to Moses and say, "Here they are, and it's really important. If you want to be blessed, take no other gods, make no idols, and as soon as the words are out of his mouth." People start looking around. That's a nice idol you got there. It'd be shame if someone started worshipping it. Right? They had followed The physical manifestation of the presence of god in the form of a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke by day they knew that their god was with them and as soon as they saw something else like a goldfish that looks pretty let's do that my favorite part of this story is actually in a a, a little couple more verses when moses comes back down the mountain and he says to them uh aaron what you doing? And Aaron says to Moses, Well, they gave me this gold, and I threw it into the fire, and behold, out came this golden calf, which is, to me, the mother of all. Well, me, someone else did it. Which is only important, because in all of these stories, what we've seen is people shifting the blame. In the story of Adam and Eve, you saw God coming to Eve and saying, Hey, what's up? And Eve saying, oh, sorry, to, to Adam, and Adam saying, No, Eve made me do it. Hey, Eve, what's up? No, oh, the, the serpent made me do it. And the serpent realizing he's the last in line and he's got nowhere to, no one to blame. And the story of Abraham and Sarah, when God comes to them and says, Hey, well, what did you do this? They say, Well, it wasn't us. It was, it was the fact. Abraham says, My wife was barren, so we had to do this. And then in this story, you have Moses coming down the mountain and saying, Hey, what, what's up here? And them saying, well, It wasn't up. We just threw it into the fire and out popped the scarf. Over and over and over again, the stories that we've been looking at have been about people seeing things that we make or the things that we think is important and valuing our opinion over that of God's. Now, the reason that I'm tracking this through these particular stories... Oh, I've got one more. Sorry, I forgot I had one more. Um, So I've I've got to wrap this up. I've got one more example here. I'm not going to go through all of it. However, Joshua is conquering the promised land, and everything's been going well, and God says to Joshua, Joshua, go in and make sure you don't touch any of the plunder in this land. Make sure that you don't touch any. It's all evil. It all has to be uh, sacrificed uh, and and gotten rid of. I don't want you to touch any of it. And so Joshua says, yes, Lord, let's do it. And then they go in to conquer a city, and a guy called Achan uh, decides that something looks attractive to him it looks in Joshua 7:10 um uh, this is god said israel has sinned they have transgressed my covenant that i commanded them and they have taken some of the devoted things and they have stolen and lied and put them in their own belongings and what we read the words of achan said this truly i have sinned against the lord of israel and this is what i did when I saw among the spoil of a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And so what Achan did is he saw something that God had said, you don't touch this or you're going to die. And because it was pleasing to his eyes, he then took it, again, throughout these scriptures, we are seeing this pattern of God saying, don't touch this, don't do this, I've got your back, and humans in the story saying, no, I can do it my way. If something looks good to me, I'm going to take it. And so I've got more there, but I I have to to skip ahead and get back to the the story of Samuel where we began. I I know you're all wondering, how am I going to tie all this together? Here it comes. The prophet is called a what? Don't you find it odd that the author of Scripture doesn't just call him a a prophet, that he he pulls in this word seer? What does a seer do? They see things. What's the word we've been tracking this entire time? Seeing, saw. Right, and so what happens in this story is the, the nation of Israel comes to... Uh, to, to the prophet and says, We want to be a, a, a nation like every other nation, every other nation has a king over them we 've got prophets and judges we don 't want that anymore. We want to be like everyone else to which I think the prophet should have responded why don 't you want to be the special people of god i, I don 't know like wouldn 't that be my? wouldn 't be a, that your answer like we well, 're all individuals, Monty Python restaurants now they come to to him and say i we want we want a king and so um, it goes to great length to describe Saul, who will be the first king over Israel, as a head taller than everybody else and a very handsome person, a good-looking guy. The reason that his description is in there is twofold: one, so God can use it as an example later, and two, to equate tall people. Because in the book of samuel tall people are not the good guys when you get a few chapters later and you get to a story of a guy named david going up against a tall person named goliath and so what god does is he says to the prophet he says fine do it here's the person and then it says that the prophet looked at him and saw that he was good looking that he was taller than everyone else. And so what, it said, so what it tracks in our brains is that prophet saying, hmm, I'm going to see what looks good to my eyes and not inquire after God what is good to him, and I'm going to choose this man and anoint him as a prophet. And then later on as you get to the anointing of David, the next king of Israel, the prophet goes up and says to Jesse, hey, bring out your son. And a good, tall, strapping young man comes out. And, and the prophet says, Ooh, surely it's this guy. And God says, Nope. All right, Jesse, send me your next son. And another tall, strapping young man comes out. Ooh, it's got to be this one. God says, Nope. The prophet says, Next son. And a trail of sons come out. I've got to imagine one was six foot one with glasses and, and a very smart and handsome individual. I identify as that. But again and again and again, God said, No, not him. And, and the prophet, Jesse says, well, that's it. And, and the prophet says, are you, are you sure? Well, I've got one more son, but he's off in, in, the, in the field. He's the runt of the litter. He's, he's, yeah, he's not good looking. Which, I don't know how bad looking you have to be for your dad to be like, ooh. And so David comes, and the Bible describes him as being short, as having a ruddy complexion, a muddy complexion. I'm thinking pimples. Acne, scrawny, no muscle on him whatsoever. And God says to the prophet, Him, because you look and see at the outside. And you try and take what you see is good. But I, as God, look at the heart and what's at the inside. And my level and definition of good is perfect, and yours is not. Over and over and over again, the biblical narrative tracks with this pattern of us, as human, imperfect sinners, being attracted to things that will ultimately bring us harm, and ignoring God and his decisions on things that will bring us harm good so as we close our time together today what i want you to do we'll just take a couple of minutes uh i'm going to pray but as i do i just want you to ask yourself that question when in your life have you made that decision where you're going to put your will over the will of god where you're going to make your decisions more important than the decisions that god makes when that shiny thing is over here and i like, god no, no 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 i want the shiny give it to me even though it might be something that is harmful to you, that God is deliberately not giving you because he knows it's going to cause you greater harm. Or maybe he's not giving it to you because he knows it's not going to bring you lasting joy. That it'll be a fleeting moment of happiness and then you're going to feel hollow and empty. Because I can guarantee this, if you fill up with the promises of God found in Scripture, the things that he has given you, the blessings that you'll have in your life. I'm not saying your life will be perfect. It'll be hard. There are struggles daily as we wrestle with our sinful natures. But man, it'll be worth it because what God sees, what God says, is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time you've given us to come into your presence today. I ask, Lord, that each one of us here can take a spiritual inventory of our lives to... to look at the circumstances and the situations where we might have said, hey, Lord, just stay over there in your box. I've got this for now. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit come to each one of us when we're in those situations and that he prompts us to follow your will. Lord, we love you and we pray these things. Help us to use your definition of good and not one that we've made up in our own heads. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen.